Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. There is a tree that lurks in the dark. A tree that sees the darkness, that knows just how long the night lasts. It's watching. All through the day, it seems to stand vigil, motionless, but for the breeze. Yet like a gargoyle arching over its domain, its eyes ever staring outwards, the tree's leaves watch for dusk, knowing that night will soon follow. All through the night, it watches still, scanning the horizon, knowing that the long night was over. It prowls the prairies and savannas and the dark forests, thorns bristling from its trunk, so sharp even a shrike shrieks and doesn't dare come near, its larder of impaled vermin kept on a less fearsome tree. It's searching for giant bears nearly twice the size of a grizzly, mammoths with mighty tusks 16 feet long. For gomphotheres, giant elephant-like beasts with spears jutting from below their fierce jaws. Searching for sloths the size of a 2012 Ford Fiesta. <laughs> but it will never find them. Because they are all dead. Wow. No one knows who Oops. killed them. All we have today are their bones lying placidly beneath the crawling roots of the trees. We can't help but notice, though, the trees looming above, casting dagger shadows across their dusty graves with its steely spines. From its tawny twigs, bent and knuckled, dangling succulent fruit, as if enticing you to come closer, closer. A siren song beckoning you to climb its limbs as if sweetly serenading you. Climb my limbs, my dear sweet friend. They won't break, just merely bend. My sweet seeds await for you aloft. Against your cheeks, my leaves feel soft. Fear you not a pesky spine. Let me move them up you climb. Once you're here, you'll get a taste, and forever in my limbs we shall embrace. It may be along your street, Alex. It may be in your local park. It may be in your backyard right now. Because the tree we're talking about today is the honey locust. <laughs> Uh, a nice big simple rhyme to end it (laughs) whoa 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 no i didn't rhyme the last one didn't rhyme i know that casey (laughs) thanks out that was incredible (laughs) case i wrote that like an hour getting ready to do the episode (laughs) like a while back
<laughs> I was gonna do it, and then you're like, "Hey, hey, hey, can we actually meet at twelve to do the recording?" And I was like, "Yes, wow, I know just what I'm gonna spend the next hour doing." That's right. And uh, and I I wrote that because Alex, this tree is scary, stunning, Casey. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary podcast about trees and other related topics. The spooky season has begun. That's right. It's our spooky Fortnite series, and we're not talking about the video game. Mm-mm. Talking about the the meaning of the season. Two weeks, two yes. weeks worth of time. That's right. Uh, I'm Alex Croson. This I is am Casey Clapp. Yeah. Oh God, I got to turn this light on, Alex. I'm petrified over here. Uh, future published Jesus. author Casey Clapp. Whoa, you think so? <laughs> wow. Well, I know so. Casey. Oh, that is true. I do. Uh, we do. We, I do have a book. I have a book deal. Yes. How exciting! Whoa, it has wow. happened. Way to bring that up. Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be writing a tree ID book here in the Pacific Northwest, and the honey locust is going to be included in it. Just. To be clear, a stunning way to open the these mm. next two weeks of episodes, Casey. Do you got goosebumps? Uh, yes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> what about you out there, everyone? I hope someone just turned the lights on because, like, oh my God, is it right there? And they look out the window and they see this honey locust. <laughs> tap, tap, tapping at your chamber uh-huh. window. <laughs> I am very proud of that. Uh, so, thank you for the response. Alex, yeah, it was great, Casey. Because I gave so many very accurate scary things for this tree i myself am like good job Casey. <laughs> yeah that could be like our new thing where you just give like a little poem in the beginning <laughs> and always make sure that i reference the size of something based around of 2012 ford fiesta absolutely and that way people don't have to listen to the rest of the episode if they if they're in a time crunch they can just listen to casey's thoughts in the beginning <laughs> casey's the uh, prose uh slash <laughs> Poetry. The musings of a madman. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's called completely arbitrary. <laughs> uh, hi, Case. Good day, Alex. Good day. Uh, hey, speaking of response, mm. we have uh, we have we have something that maybe we can bring this up later. This might be a little like a bit of a bowl in a china shop pivot oh. to this topic. All right, sure. But uh, we have a listener survey that we need people to take. Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah, we should put that out here right here. You're let's right. let's do it. Everyone. Uh, everybody, Fungal Associates, it. we have a listener survey for right. you to take if you're willing. Um, we are uh, making some moves behind the scenes here. Again. Again. But this time, this time we swear it'll be great. <laughs> we promise we won't do it again. Uh, so we are moving to a new uh, advertising agency. It's right. A new platform entirely. Actually. Yeah, that's true. And we feel very well taken care of with these people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they're they're great. We love them. Gumball. Yeah. Anything that you've heard us talk about before, forget about it. <laughs> yeah. Forget about it. This is the new, this is Arbitrary 2.0. Well, one thing. That comes along with this, Casey, is that we need to know a little bit more about our audience yes. in order to best deliver them advertisements. Now, that sounds very soulless it and does. corporate. It does. But it is a it is just a reality of making free content that uh-huh. we need to get paid somehow, and this is one of the ways we can do it. Exactly. Yes. So the reality is we do have to have ads, mm-hmm. but we want to make them as, as less shitty as possible. Right. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> this is this is how this is how we're going about it. And yeah. in order to do that, having this survey is very helpful. That way we can provide this information uh, of all not are all anonymous uh, to right. our different uh, our partners, and they can say, "Ah, oh, great, cool. We do want to target these people because we think we have a product that they would like." Yes. So, and if you want to take that listener survey and help out the pod in a in a free, uh, very quick way, 
you can go to gum.fm slash trees. That's G-U-M dot F-M slash trees. That's right. You can also find it all over the place. We'll uh, we'll have it out there for a couple weeks. So Yeah, I took it myself because I am, after all, my a own listener. biggest fan. Yes, we know this. And it took about, I would say, a minute and a half to fill out. And it was yeah, pretty quick. It was not obtrusive. It didn't ask me anything that I was uncomfortable uh, answering. And it was uh, very straightforward. And yeah. it and it's all anonymous anyway. So they're not going to be using this to send you shit in the mail. No. Um, so, we'll, well, yeah, we have a lot of shakeups coming up. But, Casey, one thing we're not shaking up is the fact that we are talking about a tree this episode. That's right. And as you have alluded, uh, not even alluded, just said in early blatant. on, yeah. we're talking about the honey locust today. Mm-hmm. Scientific name? Scientific name, Gladitia triacanthus. You say that with such casual arrogance, <laughs> just knowing that I'm going to say uh, what? Uh, I could have just, just walked over and been like, <laughs> dropped a $100 bill on you and then walked away. What is it? What, say it again. It is Gladitia Triacanthos. Gladitia triacanthos. Yes, yes, Interesting, yes. okay. Uh, I learned that it's actually named after a guy called Johann Gottlieb Gladich. Ah. Yeah. I, I thought you were going to say uh, John Gladitia Caradanthos. <laughs> they just switched a little bit? No, not quite. Well, see, I was trying to say the exact thing, and I just couldn't remember. You did a really good so, job. I was, I was suggesting that his last name is just the entire scientific name. <laughs> it's named after John Triacanthos. <laughs> I see. All right. All right. That's right, Casey. We're talking about honey locust. And I'm very excited to learn about this tree. It's It's been on our short list for roughly three years. Mm-hmm. And we're mm-hmm. finally getting to it in this, our fortnight of spooky episodes. That's right. And today we are talking the stick sense. Be afraid. Wow. Be very afraid. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Today we're talking the honey locust scientific name, Cladiziae. Uh, no. Cladiz. Cladiz. You're off on that on that that first sound you're making. Cuh. Yeah. Normally it that that letter's shaped like this. I want you to add a little this into it. Gladitia. Yeah, there we go. Man, was that good or was that good? That, that was. See, this is why we need a video podcast. Yeah, because I just turned my C into a. <laughs> G. Nice. <laughs> yes, you're right. Gladitia. Gladitia. Trya. Triacanthos. Triacanthos yeah. while you're here. Hey, yeah, thank you. I would love to triacanthos. Thank you very much. It's good. Yes, triacanthos. Uh, that is, so Gladitia, I, I think I told you, uh, is named after this guy, Johann Gottlieb Gleditz. Right. Gleditsch. It's Gled, I-T-S-C-H. And I believe Gleditsch. he is from Germany. Wow, I could have guessed that one, Casey. Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, he was a... Uh... His name is Gustav Frankenstein. I believe he's from... Uh... <laughs> 
he's from, it looks like <laughs> South India is where he's from. Hey, anybody can be from anywhere. That is true. Uh, <clears throat> this is, yeah, he was a, an old botanist, uh, I think, in uh, in Berlin, and he mm. did a lot of uh, pioneering investigations of plant sexuality as Ooh. well as reproduction. What a freak. Yeah, oh, he was into it. Yeah, it was his, <laughs> it was his thing. It was like, really, he was exploring his sexuality. Of course, yes. Via plants. I mean, this would make a great biopic, Casey. It really would. It would be very beautiful, but we have, man. We have this botanist exploring plant sexuality while his own sexuality is being discovered. Exactly. And look at that. Oh, look just at that picture. brimming with sexuality, this guy. <laughs> Everyone, quickly, go to Johann Gottlieb Gleditz slash Wikipedia.com and just take a look at his photo. They you know. really... They really outdid his second chin. Wow. <laughs> it's so good. Well, Casey, let's imagine as we do every episode that you and I are walking. Hey, I know exactly where a honey locust is. Oh, it's yeah. about three or four blocks that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pointing toward the street here. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting tree. It's a, very, it's a young one, but let's imagine that we're walking past it. Yeah. And I ask you, hey, ID that tree. I'd say, Alex, I love this tree. Great question. Let's start with the first thing we see. It just dropped its leaves, actually. Just like in the last week, all of them have basically lost all of their leaves. Oh, well. Which is very curious because they're very closely related to the other famous curmudgeonly tree from the late Pleistocene era, which is the... Kentucky coffee tree. Ah, I was going to guess the black walnut. Oh, yes. No, no, not not quite. They are in very different families, not related in a significant close way. Okay. So all the leaves have dropped. They turn a nice bright yellow, mm-hmm. and they are pinnately compound leaves. That's right. I love a pinnate uh-huh. compound. Now, this one's even more fun because it actually puts out two different kinds of leaves. Hmm. Pinnately compound leaves, which, of course, are those that have that central main vein that turns into a, a midrib or a rachis. And then, whoop, 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 has little things coming off left and right, left and right. New little leaflets. Yeah, that's right. We call them leaflets. Yeah. And leaflets compounded, Uh palmately or palmately, create a compound leaf. Exactly right. You're compounding the leaf blades. So, there is also bipinnately compound leaves. And this is really actually kind of fun because the bipinnately compound leaves are what generally come out of the more vigorous shoots. So, this has... Kind of a dimorphic growth pattern along the twigs, which uh, let me hit. Let me uh, go back to that beautiful story we heard earlier. They're knuckly because they don't have a a twig that has a terminal bud at the end. The terminal bud does not live; it just gets aborted. Hmm. So it only has twigs that come out of the side buds and they're alternately arranged Mm. so they have these little like knobs that grow a bunch of leaves from them and those are pinnately compound leaves but they kind of come out in all these different directions so it kind of looks like this little spray of leaves that pop out Hmm. but then at the end of the twig where one of the buds is a shoot that goes outwards and it elongates those leaves are bipinnately compound interesting yeah it's very curious so it has this like it's like double kind of texture to it. The bipinnate part only happens sort of at the end of the twig? Yes, pretty much. Interesting. Correct. Okay. So it, it's really kind of a, a beautiful little little photo. So vigorous young shoots, those have the bipinnately compound leaves. The older buds down on older parts of the twig, those just have pinnately compound leaves. Do they turn pinnate as they grow older? 
Uh, no, they uh, they just they would grow. It's it's not a as they grow older kind of thing. It's like uh, the the first year shoot that's the juvenile shoot. Mm-hmm. Then next year it becomes older and older and older, and then it starts to only put out the pinnately compound leaves. Okay, yeah. So it's more the the age of the the twig, not not how old it is over a season. Which really messed me up because I've heard this term a lot, like, oh, on the juvenile leaves. And I'm like, a leaf is one age. It does not age to be older or younger, you know? Right. So it does not have, oh, that's an adolescent uh, leaf now. Oh, now that is an adult leaf. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the, the age of the twig that they're growing on. I see. How long that's been around. So those are the first things, of course, you would see if you were seeing it during the leaf-on season. And I got to say, during the leaf-on season, it's quite a sight to behold. Isn't it? It has this big crown, right? Have you seen any big ones around or just these smaller ones? I guess not really big ones, no. I mean, how tall do they grow? About 80 feet. 80 feet uh, is about the height that you'd normally find them. That that is far taller than any I've seen. I think the ones I've seen are probably 15 feet max. Yeah, it makes sense. We're planting a lot more because they are tough trees oh yeah we Good used to street plant trees them. they're great street trees yeah and we used to plant them all the time and people would just they kind of fell out of fashion i guess i don't mm. really know but they've just been consistently good trees to mm. plant on the street they're tough they have a nice dappled shade because all those pinnately and bipinnately compound leaves they let through oh, yeah. like a really significant amount of light in fact i've recommended people plant this tree and they're like well I, I need to plant a tree here but i have these things that i don't want to get shaded out beneath and i'm like plant a honey locust yeah you know i mean in photoshop terms uh-huh. it's almost like you dragged your box over all the leaves and then like lowered the opacity to like 70 percent yes that's they, totally it they have this great sort of uh i'm trying to think of another tree that does this but like that dappled shade you're talking yeah. about yeah yeah and it's not just that the light is coming through between the leaves mm-hmm. it's that they're coming through the leaves and it creates this sort of like glow effect it almost. does that's totally right especially in the early fall when they start to go from light green to yellow oh the yeah the glow effect just becomes intense now settle a bet i have seen some of these honey locusts as they start to turn as yeah. we say in zombie terminology uh, agreed uh that they sort of ombre there's sort of a gradient effect Ooh. where it'll be like they they kind of they kind of uh they kind of change color from the outward in, mm, if that makes sense. It may. Honestly, I haven't noticed explicitly on these leaves, but okay. you might be right. You might be right. I mean, that makes sense to me because the, it's like, um, you know, it, like on an airplane, uh-huh. right? The people, uh, it's like the opposite of airplane. When you land in an airplane, everybody's getting off. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, people yeah. at the front of the plane have to get off first before the uh-huh. people at the back of the plane can get yeah. off first. So as the tree is sucking in its nutrients, it's chlorophyll yeah. for next season, it starts from the extremities out. Yeah. Stri- I'm sorry, in. That would make sense to me. Yeah. It also has a lot to do with the sun. Like what parts are in the sun, they often oh, will change quicker. Okay. So those outer bits would probably change more than the ones that are just a little bit inner to the canopy. Oh, they're a little more protected from the elements? Um, not not necessarily protecting it. It's just that they're, they're getting hit by the sun. And as we'll talk about here in a second, uh-huh. trees and plants are very attuned to light. So if they are getting a certain amount of light, then they are triggered to do things right. more. Uh, at a different time uh-huh. than one that doesn't get as much light. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So they get the they get the alert first. Yes, pretty much. <clears throat> yeah. Um, exactly. K- Casey, I see from photos that this is in the, or I think you've also maybe said this. This is in the P family. It is in the P family. Have it, we, we talked about it just maybe a smidge, but yeah. Can Those we are, can we go straight to the P? Oh, we can go straight to the P. But then, well, okay. Well, before we do, I'll say say that it grows up. 
and it mm. gets big, big, big rounded canopy. Mm. And its bark is anything but utility. It's like spectacular bark. Wow. It's like plates that kind of grow off and kind of pop out. Beautiful. But the plates don't pop off. They just bend outwards. It's beautiful. They're not popping off? They're, no, they are popping off, but they don't pop off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, right. Damn, this tree's popping off. It's so I love the bark of an older uh wow. an older tree. Like yeah, it's I, just so gorgeous. I see some here. They're they're they almost look like uh satellite images of like canyons and Yeah, oh my god, that's a great description. Yeah. And it's very it looks very Thank similar you. again to the Kentucky coffee tree, which mm. is a sister group, sister clade to them. Cool. So they are uh very closely related. And of course you can see this. They're both in the pea family, as you noted. Difference being the Kentucky coffee tree has strictly bipinnately compound leaves. They're huge. They're gigantic leaves. Hmm. Honey locusts do not. They have very small leaves, comparatively speaking. Well, their leaflets are tiny, right? Yes. Well, and but the leaves, also their leaves. Exactly. Okay. Both of them kind of put together. They they are not outrageously large. Yeah. And their fruit is li- is similar but different. Where the fruit of a Kentucky coffee tree, it's about the size of the palm of your hand. It goes from about the tip to your your the pad of your palm. Okay. And they're they're about they're elongated. They look like big fat peas. Like they, and I, I don't mean this in a derogatory way. They look like big fat pea pods. They're sure. very succulent. They're like maybe a half inch thick, very leathery. Whereas the honey locust, yeah. they're like three or four times as long, like up to like 12 or 18 inches. Really? 16. They're so big, like giant. I see also maybe that they have sort of a spiral shape yeah, to them, the corkscrew. Dr- totally. They dry in a funny way. I don't wow. know why they do that, but they do. They dry and they kind of curve. And as they curve, they kind of become spring-like and like pull themselves inwards Oh my a gosh, bit. how fun. Yeah. And they also are succulent inside, but not near as much as our Kentucky coffee tree. Can you eat them? No, not that I know of. Okay. I have not heard of anyone doing this. In fact, I was going to go find some Kentucky coffee tree and make some coffee. And then someone at a conference is like, oh, those are actually carcinogenic. And I was like, oh, maybe I won't. <laughs> but I'll look it up first because I really, really want to go do that. Now's the time. Yeah, okay. So I might do that. Uh, if, if I find that it's okay, I'm going to do that. I can't remember if we found that that was okay or not. But I know this every part of that tree is trying to kill you anyway. So Sure. Yeah, we'll that's an easy out. Google, though. It is an easy Google, um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's essentially what our podcast is. <laughs> just, just an easy Google. <laughs> We're like that. Have you seen that new AI generative, like, uh, thing at the top of Google now? When no. you Google something, it'll, like, compile a little, like, list of resources it's found in, in like prose no oh to answer your question i have seen that but i thought they've done that for a long time well sort of this is a more advanced version oh because i guess they oh they would just show you like the top paragraph of the top link essentially yeah it would it would find an excerpt from something yeah now they mm. they pull from lots of different sources and wow. give you a little thing, so you're saying but, they're bingifying google uh yeah wow they, could, they held out for as long as they could, but they, uh, they finally had to buckle and bingify. Yeah, I guess that's the case. Everyone does. Everyone but that's, gets there. That's sort of the, that's sort of, we're sort of the AI generative little uh, paragraph <laughs> yes. of podcasts. Oh, that's so good. So yeah, they're curious peas, Casey. <laughs> they are. They're very curious peas and they grew because, or they grew so big because they'd be eaten by these old megafauna that have died away. They are. <sighs> you got this. Ecologically anachronistic. Yes. Oh my God. Well <laughs> done, Alex. That was fantastic. Which means mm. that at one point, so proud of you. Thank you, Casey. Yeah. I love that phrase. It's great. Um, it always takes me uh, like two seconds to think of it, but it essentially means everybody come over here for a second. Come on. Uh, Casey already knows this. It means that it, at one time, 
this pee was enjoyed by a megafauna, uh-huh. such as a giant sloth or a, a, a grizzly beaver or whatever they had back then. <laughs> and that megafauna died out when extinct. Mm-hmm. However, this tree that adapted to be eaten by things that big has not gone extinct and has continued to grow these giant things that exactly. nothing eats. That's it. That's perfectly it. Another one that we've talked Perfect. about is the uh, Osage orange. Yes. Which looks like this big, great fruit, and then you break into it and it's disgusting. Yeah, nothing eats it. Um, and nothing can can eat it no. or wants to eat it. Why, why, would uh, you do, why would you put your mouth around something so large? Ho- we've heard horses sometimes enjoy the Osage yes. orange. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're but, the only um, things big enough, you know? Right, these yeah. Days. got a big old mouth. Yeah. Uh, which were enjoyed by these mega fauna of the past it is so perfect very well done i also just love this idea as a concept um yeah. i love that you know the, it's almost like looking at history mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like ecological history you're like yeah. you are so old that the thing that eats you has been extinct for like twenty thousand years yeah. yeah that's very very interesting it's crazy it makes you think like wow man things really do move slowly now there's one other thing though we should note about these trees relating to megafauna yes it's the second half of the scientific name which is triacanthos three something thorns ah yes arms okay is what yes it means. yeah so it's a uh canthos's arms i think so i okay. that's what i recall reading but i i actually uh can't recall specifically uh <laughs> All right. Yeah, I was. I think I, I believe Little. I wrote it down, but yes, essentially, oh. whatever the actual Latin uh, derivatives are, it does mean that it essentially has co- or thorns that split into threes. I, I always love when Casey Down Under Clap comes to visit. <laughs> well, he always brings his knife. <laughs> That's not a knife. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. That's not a knife. But this is a tree that has the most vicious, yeah. vicious thorns on it. Yeah. They are technically, I think, spines because they are they come from dormant buds, I believe. Oh yeah, I forgot and there was a difference. There, yeah, just ever so slightly, ever so slightly. I, I pegged them for spines. Yeah, and the, the reason you know is because they split, so that means that they would be branch tissue that grows out, and then a bud comes out, and then they turn into more. So these are spines. Yes, I believe that is the case. Yes, I could do as we just noted a quick Google search, but we do this live. We're already here. We're never gonna. We're never gonna look back. <laughs> we're we're already here. Yeah. In fact, all I'm going to do is like reference an episode where we did talk about this one right. time and we're like, go listen to that episode yeah. if you want to learn more about that. This is the arbitrary way. Yeah. What episode was it? I don't know. Start at the first <laughs> and then just go through until you hear it. Go chronologically. <laughs> I'm sure it was where we talked about uh, the umbrella thorn. Yes. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these 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 uh, these spines are, are quite vicious looking. They're insane. Yeah. And the idea would be the, that they would have kept an animal from climbing up or breaking or pulling okay. on it because they, they're not really on the small twigs. They're actually coming out of the, the main stems and the larger branches. Yeah. So leads you to believe that it was more trying to keep animals off of the main the main big part of it. So you wanted them or they wanted you just to eat the branches and the leaves and the things that are out on the extremities. Do not break my stem. Now, Okay, is that because like no no animal today could break the stem of a 
tree, an exactly. 80 foot tree. Yeah. But we're talking about when animals were a little bit bigger. Well, this is the, if once a tree gets to 80 feet, yeah, you're, you're good. Maybe this, they do the spines even grow when it's older. They do, but they kind of, they grow and they age and then they just kind of decay and fall away. Okay. But this would be, uh, you don't want an animal when the tree is small, when the tree is able to be broken yeah, by yeah, yeah. something that is, you know, one and a half times the size of an African elephant. I see. Like they could just walk over and be like, yep, you're on the ground now. So the, the animal would walk up and, and be like, ooh, spines. Ah, I don't want to touch that. But ooh, look at that yummy uh, yeah, seed pod exactly. There. And then they'd get on their hind legs or something. And they'd pull off the, the branches from the, edder, from the outer extremities. I gotcha. But they would not necessarily climb up into the tree and like break it in half. I gotcha. Okay. But again, we don't really know. But that's just what we can look at and say, probably. Sure. But we don't know what the interactions were other than the fruit. We can be very positive about the fruit. We've actually seen a lot of these in dung that we found oh. in coprolites, which are essentially petrified dung from animals. We've seen Exciting. fruit in this way. Alex is like, yeah, oh, wow. Who, who's doing that research? <laughs> Sign me up. Bunch of shit kickers. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate that. It's on my business card. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we don't, we, we're not for sure, but you know, you can only make inferences. You can of say, course, well, yeah. there's giant animals and there's giant spines on this tree. Huh. Uh, I wonder if they're connected. There are a lot of intelligent people putting these pieces together. There are, yeah. You, you just have to have logic and some context and you're exactly. good to go usually. And you figure it out. Yeah. But Alex, that is, that, and that is in fact something that we've talked about so many times before. Megafauna? Uh-huh. Yeah. Our subject today actually has far more to do with the first line of the epic yes. story called The Stick Sense, which is, there is a tree that lurks in the dark, a tree that sees the darkness. Now, this is interesting. Now, what did Clap mean by this? I really don't know, but it seems that what his language was was very intentional. <laughs> it sees in the dark, and what was the second part? No, 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 no. It Sorry. lurks in the dark. It lurks. And it sees the darkness. It sees the darkness. Yes. It's not that it sees in the dark. How is sees spelled? Uh, as, in, as in vision. Okay. S-E-E. See, I, I read it as sees as in the day. Ah, a tree that sees, uh, seizes the, I see. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, it sees the darkness. What does that mean, Casey? Well, what that means <laughs> is that there are... There, I let me let me back up just real fast. I years ago, by years ago, I mean I think last year, read a book called "What a Plant Knows." There it is by Daniel. I think I'm going to say Chemovitz. Okay, and he is a um, Israeli author and scientist, mm. and has done a lot of research on how plants actually perceive the world, not in a way that is. Uh, like there's actually, it just another article came out recently that I read that is basically saying we need to pump the brakes on anthropomorphizing plants. Right. And I read, I read, you know, the abstract and I was like, mm, I'm going to get back to this because it's essentially scientists saying, stop, stop anthropomorphizing plants. They don't see, they don't love, they don't like, we can't add these human traits to plants. I have my issues with that which we've talked about a little bit, and maybe we'll talk about again, and I'll just go on a rant here, and you can get on the Patreon, and you can hear what I have to wow. say about that. But that is, is, we use the term humanizing trees, where we're not yeah. saying that a tree is actually 
loving and actually seeing. Like you said, stress. Like you have a problem saying, oh, a tree's stress. Like, ah, it's a human term. Right. They were giving to a tree, but the trees are doing something different. They're not, they're not having the same, the same exact response from the same stimuli, et cetera, et cetera. So this book is basically a scientific look to saying, well, okay, if we are going to accept the premise that a tree has the five senses, quote unquote, let's explore that. Let's see what actually happens. Mm. And without anthropomorphizing, because he's a scientist, he basically goes through the literature and scientifically says, here is how a tree is looking and seeing and interacting. And he goes through this definition and says, well, here, here we are. We're humans, Alex, you and I. I'm pretty sure. Mm, nothing. Hmm. So humans, we have we have eyes, and our eyes have these little cones and uh, rods in them, right? Hey, we're a lot we're a lot more like trees than we thought. We we really are. We except have cones. We do. Oh, Alex, <laughs> that was you, son of a gun. Pretty surface level. Yeah. No, it was it was good. I love that. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> this is like in the in the back, like on our retina. Right. And I think <clears throat> I read that humans have, and this is, I think, is in his book, the very first chapter, which is, which is the one that catches you, right? Mm. Um, we have something like 38 megapixels worth of like vision, whereas like most things, like the highest end camera has like uh -huh. eight or something. That's because what we have is we have these two things. We have these cones and rods. Now, cones see certain colors, and then rods see all color but in a gradient. They basically see light and dark. Or rather, they see light, and therefore they know if it's dark. Does that Ooh, make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. So, oh, yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, because yeah. it's, it's binary. All you need to do is see one, and if you don't see it, you know it's the other. Right. So in this case, with, uh, with cones, we have only three colors, red, green, and blue. Hmm. So we have certain cones that see each of that. So if, uh, if someone is colorblind, they essentially do not have one of those cones interesting yeah they have all the others but they don't have that one interesting yeah so that is like like if you're colorblind red or blue oh. i think is it red? i don't know i think there's like certain ones green colorblind right yeah i think so yeah. you look at those books that have like numbers and circles in that's it. right yeah yeah, yeah. So that is, uh, that's how our vision works. And essentially light comes in and it hits those rods and it, if it hits, uh, if it's blue light, then it hits the blue receptor. Mm. And if it is red, it hits the red one. Now, if you have a light that's halfway in between, some of it hits one and some of it hits the other. And then our brains put it together and we interpret it and all that. To bring it back to Photoshop, RGB, that's exactly. the color mode. And if you can put, you know, 30% R, 40% G, right? And yeah. that makes a certain color. Exactly. I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, well, who knows? Yeah. I, we're not going to go into all the different color things because it's also weird in terms of like light coming in is white light and then it gets refracted out I, with like a prism. Yeah. yeah it's all, it, it freaks you out when you're like <laughs> mixing paint versus something else. <laughs> anyway, we're not going to wade into it. Mm -hmm. Suffice it to say, that's how humans see something, but right. we see in pictures. That's the big, that's a big takeaway. Mm -hmm. We have, we interpret all the things in front of us right. as a, as a picture. It's not reality. It's just like how our eyes are perceiving it. Exactly. Which, you know, we round up to say, yeah, this is reality. This is how I see it. But reality is different from everybody. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, we're not going to wade into that perspective side of this. Maybe someday. Maybe someday we'll get there. Because today we're going to be talking more about the tree's perception of reality. And a tree has these same different photoreceptors in them. Hmm. And this is something that when I was reading this book, I was like, okay, cool. What exactly is sight in plants if we are going to round up and say let's just say trees have sight and the biggest difference between trees and 
humans or any other animal really for that matter. But then, Jesus, let's not even talk about ants or like mantis shrimp, you know? Like those are the compound eyes in insects that see things like every direction all at once and all these different things versus a mantis shrimp that can like see through walls and fucking like they're, they are, they perceive the world in a way we can't even conceive of. That's fucking scary. We're not even going to get into that. Look at these three things that we're not getting into. Look at, I'm very proud of us, Alex, (laughs) for not not going down these rabbit holes. So your, your plants, they are seen in a different way. They're not seen with, uh, with pictures. They just have receptors to say, "Uh uh-huh, registered. Now, can I guess what these, what these receptors are? Yes. Is it leaves? Well, it's not quite leaves. It's what's inside the leaf. Ah, isn't it always? I want to tell that to my children. Chlorophyll? No, 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 Alex. It's not, it's not your leaves. It's what's inside your leaves. That sees. Um, now go make us proud. <laughs> is it the chloroplast or the chlorophyll uh, that they're like little? I mean, they have they are literally little light mm-hmm. receptors, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they are they're not so much light receptors as um, light absorbers. Okay. So your chlorophyll is absorbing all these different photons at these different wavelengths, mm-hmm. and then using that to create uh, energy to rip apart and recombine water and um, CO two. So I'm a little off in terms of what I think, yes. how I think trees see. You are only off in that there is a different set of proteins that we just collectively call photoreceptors. Okay. Those uh, I believe trees have many, and I tried to find something that spoke specifically to our tree the honey locust but it uh, it doesn't there's lots of different people who've done lots of different research but it usually comes down to like reed canary grass or um a what is it thaliopsis it's like this oh these are like the commonly researched plants in terms of photoreception yeah and they're just commonly researched all the time they're essentially Mm. the plant that everyone has they're very easy to grow and you can manipulate them in certain ways so everyone's like great let's just oh sure let's just use those okay like they're 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 just extremely well known i got you i got you so these, uh, in trees, there are a few different ones. The first that we're going to talk about, which we talked about a while back um, when we talked about the drunken forests of, yes. uh, of the melting um, the areas up in the north. Yeah. yeah. So those were black spruces, and we talked about phototropism. Yeah. And phototropism exists in all trees, and they grow out as uh, wherever the light is. That's what they're growing towards. Right. This is one of my favorite takeaways from our podcast of all yeah. time. Yeah. Okay. That makes my day. So phototropism, it turns out, is only actually like caused by blue light. Interesting. If you don't have any other light, you just pl- shine pure blue, a tree will move towards that blue light. Hmm. If you do not shine blue light, you shine it only red light, mm-hmm. the tree will grow straight up as if it's blind. That is fascinating. Or it will grow wherever there's blue light, I suppose. But if it's if it's completely dark, let's say. So if our if our sun was a, a what is it called a red giant or whatever? Oh yeah. Uh, then it, then trees wouldn't do phototropism. They wouldn't do phototropism. Yeah, very likely. <laughs> that's a that's a very good point. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, now I don't know. You know there's going to be some astronomer out there who's like, oh, well, yeah. So we're, yes, we're not even close to being <laughs> even informed on that, is that our stuff. Fourth rabbit hole. We're not going to go down. <laughs> yeah, listen the to this familiar. tree podcast. We <laughs> just talked about astronomy and what is a red giant versus uh, a blue dwarf. Every once in a while. 
Yeah, we'll get there. It'll, it'll, it'll. We still have 70, uh, 74, 72,800 yeah. trees to do. If, so. you, if you think it seems like we are uh, running out of content now. Oh, just wait. We'll see you in a couple of years. <laughs> Oh man! So this is uh, that's what uh, that's what the the blue light does. That's very interesting. Right? Why? Um, it's just a means of separating things. Because if the sun, I mean, look up at the clouds, I guess, or look up at the sky. Mm-hmm. It's usually blue. We see the blue sky, right? right? So it is as the sun. This is our one foray into this. The sun sends out white light, and white light is all of the lights put together. Yes, it contains all colors. It contains all colors. So that light is shining down and a tree is essentially saying, okay, cool. I'm going to take all that light in these receptors, which are the chloroplasts, and then I'm going to reflect back green because the green is just the one I'm not going to use. That's why plants are green. They absorb all the other wavelengths of light. If the plant is uh, on these other photoreceptors, taking in that same white light it is actually only taking cues from the blue light just because that photoreceptor, which is essentially a protein, that protein is designed and flipped in such a certain way that it will only react or change or make a, any kind of uh, stimulus reaction to blue light. Interesting. So why is that? I don't really know. Other than the fact that, yeah, when you look up and out, it's this bright light that wants to come and blue light coming down from the sky with all the other lights. Maybe it's just that it's like, ah, well, it's on this side of the spectrum and I know that that is where the rest of the light is going to be. Mm. Now, maybe this is going to be a little bit informed when I tell you this next thing, which is red light and far red light, which is essentially like like the darkest red you can ever imagine. Is that like infrared? It's just before that. Okay. So far red, we can technically see. Uh-huh. I, I Googled this and it just looks essentially black. Like it's really, really, really low wavelength okay. red light. Okay. And just after that is going to be infrared, which we cannot see with our naked eye. Right. So, However, the mantis shrimp. The mantis shrimp. You know they can see infrared. Can't see it. Oh my God. So it turns out, Alex, that there is red light receptors as well. Okay. Now, what is exciting about that? In in trees? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so these red light receptors, um, they're called phytochrome, which mm. means plant color. Okay. Easy as that. So what this what is fascinating about this is Darwin initially, he and his son Francis did this first initial um, phototropism uh, experiment, which is the cutest like experiment you can ever do. That's good. That's Those are core memories. Oh, they they really are. Yeah. Francis really took that and, and did everything. Just really went off. But Francis like, Darwin. Look, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Casey this? is showing me a... a it's, it's a little diagram. Uh-huh. And you know, here's a little candle over here. And you can look this up on Google and everyone has redone this. Oh, and yeah. And they made a dark room. They put a bunch of seeds of reed canary grass, Phalaris canariensis. And they had these little seedlings growing up. Yeah. And and they left one completely normal. Then they took another one and they clipped the tip of it off. So they just clipped off the top. Okay. The next one, they put a, a uh, opaque cap on it. Right. It's so like a little, little grass seedling growing up and they just went whoop, and put like a little tiny thimble on top of little it. Little blackout goggles. Exactly. The second one, they put out a, an, an, a see-through little cap. Oh. So the cap was like glass, I think. And then they just put this glass cap on. Wow. So it is going to be blocking certain things, but not light. And then the last one, they took like a, a tube and blocked the middle section of the plant. I see. So they're trying to figure out, okay, do plants see A, and what part of the plant sees B? 
Yes, they are. They're blocking the light from certain parts of the blade of grass. Yes. And so they found that it's the tip that moves or the tip that uh, sees, but then it actually bends a little bit further down. Okay. So that has all to do with oxen and all the other phototropic things that we talked about where essentially as this plant is growing down or uh, as it gets um, light from these photoreceptors, those photoreceptors say, okay, you produce oxen, you don't produce oxen. And mm. then that makes it either elongate the growth or not elongate the growth. So if you have the left side elongating or in your perspective, the left side elongating, then the right side doesn't elongate. You get a bend in the resulting tip of the tree. I see. So it's not really growing toward the light. Yeah. It's like growing it's like being pushed toward the light exactly by itself because one side is growing faster <laughs> i know that sounds a little it. silly but that that's sort of how i thought of it like um it's yeah it's not really it's it that's that's really interesting i'm not yeah. even sure what i'm trying to say here Case. well it's just this, it's this it's this easy like very clever mechanism yeah right? that's great it's so that smart. is yeah that's the blue light and that's this initial uh thing that they found okay. that the the darwins found then years later people kept looking at it and realized okay first off it's only blue light that they actually moved to but when you shine red light at a plant it does something different hmm. and this is the fun part that i was like whoa tell me more so red light will make a plant flower. Wow. And if it gets far red light, it will not. As if it is a switch. Now, this to me says that the sun, you know, that sun just hits different in hits the spring. Mm -hmm. And there's maybe more red light coming Ooh. from the sun in the springtime? Nope. Okay. <laughs> you're close though. You're not, you're not far off. Okay. You just have, uh, you, you basically, you have all the puzzle pieces there, but you put them in the wrong order. You're so good at telling me I'm wrong. You're welcome, Alex. This is what I'm here for. Tell, tell, tell me how I'm, how it's right. All right, dumbass. <laughs> so here's how, <laughs> this is, uh, it's your, your right in the sense that in spring, the days are getting longer. Right. So it's not that there is a, a bigger or a shorter amount of red light because it just so happens. Red light happens when the sun first comes up in the morning. Ah. Just pops over that horizon. Okay. The leaves, every single leaf on a plant, and it only takes one, literally just one leaf. All of them are waiting and seeing they all are covered with these photoreceptors that collect only red light so going back to your question earlier uh why is it blue it could be that they already had red photoreceptors doing certain things so they're like okay well we need a different receptor to take a different kind of light to do a different mechanism in our growth mm -hmm. so they said okay blue light you are going to be connected to oxen and you are going to make this grow in a certain direction to get us the most sunlight now red you are going to be here and you're going to give us an idea of how long the day is or more specifically how long the night is right this is the trees seeing the darkness it's how long the sun is in the sky yeah and anytime it's not means it's nighttime precisely but it actually works again in the opposite direction where the tree is measuring when it gets that far red light mm -hmm. which i should add alex is the last bit of light that you see at dusk mm -hmm. it just kind of flashes out there for a little bit and it's just like <gasps> far red light good night 
plant. Wow. The tree has these receptors that are these proteins, these phytochromes, and essentially when red light hits them, then they become receptive to far red light. Oh my God. When far red light hits them, they switch and they become receptive to red light. What the hell? So it basically says, as the sun comes down and then blasts them with, uh, with this far red light, that's when the timer starts. Wow. When you say timer, oh, forgive me. Sorry, mm. no, you can, you can ask your question. I was just having a good time. <laughs> I thought you were, I thought the timer was going to go off. Oh, yeah, when it the, does. When the sun sets. It will have to wait the entire night, though, so it make this a very long podcast. <laughs> Woo, marathon record. Yeah, eight hours later. <laughs> um, so, okay, okay, okay. So when you say, because you use the terminology or the, 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 the diction uh, that, the the tree takes in these spectrums of light. Yeah. The spectrum of light uh-huh. bounces back green because that's the only one quote it doesn't use. Yeah. It's using these other colors of light. Yeah, but it's also different mechanisms. So different things would be taken in different light. But it does happen that this is red, blue, and then greens reflect reflected away. Because those are the three major uh colors of uh light uh no i'm not sure why i'm green a little I'm, i guess i'm a little lost on light i need like light 101 oh okay well okay so you have uh roy g biv right which is your your red orange yellow sure blue yeah roy g no green b-i-v uh, blue is indigo violet exactly and so then you have on the other side of that is uh was it the, the big the big blue one the big purple one black light essentially uh-huh and then uh on the other side is infrared okay and we can't see those past the roy g bivs so when light hits something it is absorbed and whatever color our eyes are seeing uh-huh. that is what's reflected back okay yeah so that's yeah. why trees are green they're absorbing all of the other light and they're reflecting back green yep. which means they are not using the green light the green light hits and bounces and goes away okay. everything else gets absorbed into the leaf and they use those different uh colors <laughs> well here's the i know so little yeah. i understand so little that i sound like a fucking kindergartner this is this is <sighs> this is perfectly fine alex i hate this if you explain to me the way that music works it would be the same thing just switched. fair enough so do not <laughs> I was literally looking There's at this book. That, yeah. yeah. This. I just got this new book, The Guitar Grim- Grimoire, which I love. It's <laughs> like, it sounds terrifying. It sounds like some, a demon that comes out of your guitar and you yeah. play it wrong. Right. Ah, the Grimnar. <laughs> oh, Grimnar. God. <laughs> um, and it is, it is like reading black magic. It is so in-depth and crazy, but I it's, think I understand yeah. it. But I, I see what you're saying, Casey. So in this case, Alex, imagine there's three different jars. Mm-hmm. One jar collects blue light. And all of the light coming out of the sun is, is it's filled with all of them. It is all light coming down together. So it is 100% of all the spectrum okay. from the sun. But this jar only is designed to collect and separate out the Roy's and the G's and the Biv's. Okay. So this jar only collects red. Actually, this jar only collects red and far red. That's all it's designed to do. So it has a certain shaped uh, top so that only the certain wavelength size mm-hmm. can fit into it. Everything else is either too big or too small. Okay. Then you have another jar. The second jar only collects the blue light. Mm-hmm. It has just the right protein that the only the only the correct size wavelength for blue can make it into that jar. Everything okay. else hits it and bounces away. Got it. 
Meanwhile, as it bounces away, it might hit all, go into the, the chlorophyll, and then the chlorophyll will say, sweet, now I got this. But this happens all on like these teeny tiny little levels. Yeah. The chlorophyll has a jar that collects everything except the green wavelength. Yeah. So everything goes in there, and that one wavelength just can't fit, so it pops back out. And that's what we see. Yes, that's what we see. All right. So all these other photoreceptors are very similar to our eyes, where we have it back there. We can see these colors, but we also don't like... Um, None of it is, some of it's reflected, but our eyes are so black because they are literally, our pupils are absorbing every ounce. Mm. So if you if you see something that is black, it's absorbing 100% of that light that's coming in. Whoa. Nothing is reflecting back. That's why it's black. Whoa. So I, I said we weren't going to get into this, Alex, and now we're here, and Alex is just where do we go going into space. <laughs> here is where we're going to go. Okay. A tree, you noted measure and i thought you were going to go measure down this uh, this way when you said it earlier and i was uh, it was happy you didn't but mm. now we're going to circle back okay because this is the thing that makes like should give you pause trees are able to quote see the light right. in the same way that we can quote see the light uh-huh. we just have this brain that interprets it and then our brain sees it as a literal picture in front of us uh-huh we can say, okay, cool. There is everything I can move. I can interact with it. I understand this as a picture. A tree does not have that ability to, to see in a picture. Everything works on its own. So that one protein mm-hmm. is receptive to red. And then as soon as it gets hit by red, it becomes it switches and becomes receptive to far red. So imagine a light switch that turns on and off. Mm-hmm. It turns on when the f- dawn happens. On dawn. It turns off when... Dusk Off happens. dusk. Exactly. Okay. Now, it turns out that trees and plants, generally speaking, do not measure, they don't keep track of the length of the day. They keep track of the length of the night. I see. So that's why I said in my, in my story, they see the darkness. Because as soon as that far red hits them at dusk, they keep track. And then as they keep track, when the dawn happens and they turn Mm. on again, then they say, aha, cool. The daytime is this long because they just like that binary I'm talking about. They're not measuring the the length of the day. They're measuring the length of the night, which gives them the length of the day. Precisely. And the reason that we know this is that we have done a lot of experimentation on this and people in the cut flower industry Mm. really want to make sure that the plant that they really want to sell is able to grow and produce flowers during that time of the Ah. year. So in this book, they use chrysanthemums and iris and all these kinds of really beautiful flowers that we would love to have. So how do we make those plants flower out of season? Because most plants are either going to be short day or long day growers and producers of flowers. What this means is that they measure the length of night to know how long the day is going to be. And we are not clear on how they can remember that. Like, yeah. That's the part that I'm like, that should give everyone pause. Yeah. And this is why I'm like, shut up, scientists. Let's just say that trees see because they also have memory. I chalk, and I'm, I'm as you know, I'm, a, I'm one of the world's most renowned scientists. You are. That's a very funny way to, to usually it's more specific. <laughs> um, I, I, my theory is that They've just, it's like an evolutionary knowing, Mm -hmm, an mm -hmm. evolutionary memory, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That they just, they just know because they've been doing it for so long. Sure. But 
it still is a kind of memory and it sure. still has to be an acute memory. Maybe they develop the ability to have that memory, yeah. but they're still keeping track of it every year. That is interesting. So iris, for instance, are longer days. So during the growing season, during spring, like you said, there's going to be, there's going to be, you know, more sunlight. There is, but they're only keeping track of the very beginning and the very end or the very end and the very beginning, depending on how you're looking at it. Wow. And that plant is keeping track. Okay. How long was that day? Okay, cool. How long was that day? Mm, okay, cool. It's getting longer. As it gets to a I certain see. point, then the flower says, boom, turn on those hormones. Add the, the, pl- add the petals. Create this. And now they have this flower. <laughs> mobilize, mobilize. It's time, everyone. Take your pants off. <laughs> Let's get f- that's what Ira says every every midsummer. I'm gonna I'm gonna bleep that because it was so <laughs> vulgar. Uh, so bad, you gotta like spit it out. <laughs> That's a hard F. And well, that is the stick sense. That is the stick sense. Wow. And it's literally the stick at the tip of the twigs. Yeah. That's the blue light receptors that move things around. Works on multiple levels. The leaves, they're the ones that are though though doing the the blue and the or the red light, excuse me. Sure. Yeah. And so it's like, whoa, hold on. A plant can see and remember yeah. how long, what the last color was that it saw. Was that red or was that far red? And then it remembers how long in between those two things happen. And it knows if it starts to get shorter at the end of summer, then all the fall plants start to bloom. It's because they are short days. So they're keeping track of the days getting long and then getting short again. It's almost like, it's more like a computer than a human brain. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. The stick sense is more just a computer thing. Yeah, if you really like just... Only because it's like, it's binary and it's like a... Yes, it's yeah. Like a t- it's like timed, right? Yeah, it's just, a, um, I, it's a fun mechanism. That's very fun. Yeah, there you go. What a blast. So this is what our tree's doing. I We, we uh, brought up that this tree, our tree has lost its leaves. Yes. We also talked years ago about the uh, Kentucky coffee tree. The Kentucky, the Kentucky coffee tree is a tree that is the last to put its leaves out and the first to start dropping them. They probably have dropped most of their leaves the same as the honey locust. They are keeping intense track yeah. of the weather. And this is probably also something that comes from the Pleistocene where the ancient glaciers used to come down and everything was very cool and these plants would only have the right amount of time and energy and space only this very teeny tiny short period of time. So they're like, oh, no, no, no. I'm not going to put my leaves out yet because I know in late June, there's always a frost. It's been like this for 50,000 uh, years. Okay. That does not happen anymore, but it's not keeping track of the temperature. It may be keeping track of temperature. This is a whole other thing to add in, but it's mostly the days. It's measuring the that in itself is sort of an ecological anachronism. It is, 100%. Yeah. And that is like the next level ecological anachronism. Yeah. It's not the fruit. This is now the physiology of the plant's, um, right. the plant's circadian rhythm. It's the day-to-day operations. Yeah. Wild out. Very interesting, there Casey. There you go. Well, that was our wow, fascinating. I need, I need, I need to speak to my pastor. Yeah. <laughs> my mind is blown, man. It is, yeah. So our 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 honey locust, it's it just keeps getting just more intense. Uh, and we're gonna give a rating to this honey locust, but it's got to happen after a break. We will be right back, and we'll see you very soon here on completely arbitrary. Welcome 
Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. That was our discussion of the honey locust in Casey. the stick sense. In the stick sense. Oh, that sense of stick. What? <laughs> it's time for a review of the honey locust. And here's how it works we're going to give some final thoughts on this tree and then give it a rating of zero to 10 golden jack-o'-lanterns of honor what alex <laughs> the lowest hanging fruit you could possibly imagine it's but there it is literally on the ground yeah true yeah uh casey is our resident expert we will begin with you mm-hmm. all right so sorry begin with boo oh geez all right just let's move on <laughs> I I happen to have I happen to have a very lovely experience with these trees. Mm. Two ways. One, uh, they are a tree that I just think are spectacular to be planted everywhere. Cool. They grow very well. They have a unique like flavor to them. Hmm. I think they look very tropical or like kind of semi tropical. Yeah. You know, like a savanna kind of tree. For sure. Yeah. And I like that they produce shade, but it's a dappled shade. And I think that's more palatable palatable to a lot of people where they don't want something that is like dark and dreary. Although I do like that also. Well, so, you know, it goes, it goes always. But they are like very, very beautiful trees. They have a nice texture to them. I mm-hmm. like their knuckly growth the way they, they have this. And if anyone ever sees them, just pay attention to this knuckly growth. Okay. It really is a, a unique thing for them quit saying knuckly growth I, I can't i can't i can't alex it's the best way to describe it there's literally no other way to describe the growth other than knuckly <laughs> luckily uh, i'll move on thank you uh the bark i think is great and i love that this tree's covered in thorns yeah though we don't usually plant the thorned version there's a variety that's naturally occurring called anermis hmm. and it doesn't have fruit or thorns so it's essentially who cares? Yeah, where's the party? Come on. Where's the party? I know. Yeah. Like, there's no danger. There's no sex. It's like, it, this is a tree that has just been turned into an inert, growing thing. It's what the people want. It's what the people want. <sighs> just what a... Well, fine. I get it, but man, I just... I love a tree that has this weird thing that you're just walking around you're like, oh, oh my God. Yeah. Like it's not a, it's like a grotesque amount of thorns. Like you could cut off some branches and you could use them to absolutely destroy something. Sure. Like it's they, like, it's it like, a like a baseball like, bat covered in uh, nails. nails. Yes. Yeah. It's exactly what it's like. Like it's insane. Speaking of zombies. Speaking of zombies. Yeah. If there's a zombie apocalypse, this is the tree you want to go find, cut off one of the branches yeah. and then just, you know, wait for it to grow all of its response growth and thorns and then use it to kill them. Have yourself a good old time. Have yourself a good old time. So I think that tree, I just think it has so much to offer in terms of arboriculture, in terms of its aesthetic value, in terms of its curiosity in a biological and arboreal, arboreal, huh, that's a fun word, Hmm. in a sense of being a tree and biological organism. Yeah. It's just a cool tree. Yeah. I really think it's great. It doesn't do anything that's like outstanding, you know, like there's not some wild, amazing thing. We're not even sure if it actually produces its own uh, nodes to do... Uh, what is it? Uh, nitrogen fixing, the way a lot of legumes mm-hmm. do. It's really up in the air. People are like, man, does it? Mm, I'm not sure if it does. It might be ancient. It might be not ancient. No one's quite sure. So, as a overall tree, I got to give it like a, like a 7.9. 
Very it, respectable. It's respectable. It's a Michelin star kind of 7.9. Oh, you know? yeah. In order to get up to eight, you have to like really blow my socks that's, off. That's one star for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a really, it's a special tree. It's a gorgeous tree. It should be Great. planted more. Uh, I don't think it's planted enough, though I think it, it could be. So don't, don't go too crazy. You know, just plant it at a walking pace. Sure, but don't stop walking. We're not, we're not a, we're not in a in a dire need for these trees. Yes, exactly. But you know, here here and there, why here not? Here and there, yeah, they're great. They also have very few pests. Like they're just they're they're a they're a good tree. Solid tree. Solid tree with a lovely history and a solid score. Seven point nine golden jack o' lanterns. That's right. That's of right. Honor. Now that is my opinion, Alex. What do you think about this tree? Well. I am quite fond of the honey locust. I love a biopinately compound mm-hmm. leaf. I love a pinately compound leaf, and this one has both. Yeah, it does. It's got it all. It's a whole package, so to speak. I also love the shape of the leaflet. It's like a little, yes. it's like a little pill shape almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think they're beautiful trees. I love a tree that grows a defense like that, and it's such like a funny. Um, I mean, speaking of low hanging fruit, it's like a defense that's it's not chemical. It's not, you know, we can see it. It spikes. Yes. Like, it's yeah. right there. It, there's no, it's it's not being shy or coy about no. its defenses. No, or smart about it. It's just yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to cover myself in spikes. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's, well, that'll work. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, you developed eyes? Me too. Uh, so I can see that you can see that I'm going to kill you. That I'm covered in spikes. Uh, and I love, I love the, I love the overall shape and size of it. I love ecological anachronisms mm-hmm. and this this one's got it man the only thing that's missing for me yeah is an edible fruit one mm, yeah it's not you're you're kind of edible no yeah like if this thing was covered in like uh, uh well mangoes is a, i was gonna say know, it's, it's or a mango type one. this seems mango. like a tree that would grow a big droop it does it really it has that like it's a, it's the the tropical feel to it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that would that would put it over. Or if it, um, what was my other, what was my other, my other maybe. Oh yeah, if or, or if I had some sort of like emotional attachment to it, I think yes. would help it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really have a grand history with it, or no. doesn't mean a lot to me. Some in my people heart. do, but it's only those sure. that have have seen it crawling across the prairies and the forests. Yeah, they'd be like, mm, don't come near me. Yes. What does that mean? Uh, that was from that was from the story that was passed down through generations. I see. Sorry, I, I missed that verse. I can I can do it again. Uh, I on, give Alex, this. Hold on. Let me just. Let me just read. <laughs> I loved it. I'm just. I'm one. One viewing was enough. Like the Northman. <laughs> um, I give this a seven point three five. Seven point three five. Yeah. Why? So, why have you split it up? Um, uh, just feels right, Case. You I'm just going with my heart. Going, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Seven point three five golden uh, jack o' lanterns of honor. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's got that extra extra. What is it? That's a hundredth. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. Sometimes you just got to do it. It's it, it's whatever yeah. in your heart. Yeah, that just feels right to me. Um, yeah, I think it's a fine tree. I'd like to, I'd like some more familiarity with it. I'd like to go mm. see some big ones. Okay. Uh, I've only ever seen 15 foot brand new, just planted by the city in a uh, planter strip, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so if I, if I got some more experience, I'm sure that would bump up, but All that's right. where I'm at right now. Uh, Blandina, just a few blocks oh, east yes. of this is, Borthwick Avenue. This is Casey's superpower. And 15th Avenue, right about 9th or 10th. Very good. It's on the 
south side of the street. Now you know. No, I'm that- sorry. Not no, 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 not not Avenue, not Street Fifteenth. Uh, sorry, not Street around Ninth or maybe Tenth Avenue. Now you know about me that verbal directions mm-hmm. or any of that just goes in one ear and out the other. I cannot. So you, we'll have to go there and let me see them. Yeah, okay. This is, go go to Blandina Street and just drive up and down it between okay. uh, Williams and Albina. Still too much. God dang it. Okay. <laughs> I'll drop you a pin. <laughs> that was our review of the Honey Locust. Casey. It's time for our completely arbitrary Q&A. I love a good Q&A, Alex. Boy, don't we all. This one is from Nathan. Right. Nathan says, Hey there, tree people. Hi, Nathan. I recently took a trip to the Pacific Northwest. All uh, right. What a beautiful place. Uh, Squamish and Northwest Washington, to be exact. Mm, yes. Okay. Very, very covered in dark, big trees. Well, it's funny you should say that because one of the many things that stood out to me, says Nathan, was the amount of moss on the big leaf maple, <laughs> Acer macrophyllum. That's right. Compared to its coniferous friends. Yes. What allows or helps the moss to grow more on the maples than the neighboring conifers? Mm. Thanks, Nathan. Love now, this. We've talked about before that uh, specifically big leaf maples mm-hmm. are sort of epiphytic, epiphyte heads. They are. They love them. They love an epiphyte is like a moss or a lichen. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Uh, anything that grows on another plant. Okay. So on the surface, not as a parasite, yes. but grows on top of without, and this is a specific thing, any connection down to the ground. So a vine is not an epiphyte. Mm. A, um, a mistletoe parasite is not an epiphyte. It is a parasite, specifically. How about a, how about a western hemlock growing on the limb of a giant sequoia? Ah, that's... Or a, a western red cedar. Rather. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think... I think you could call that an epiphyte. I think you would have to move that up to an epiphyte sure. uh, thing. The tree doesn't, it's not its natural way. It's not doing that because it's designed to be an epiphyte. Uh, it happens to just grow where conditions were right. I understand. You know? Okay, so yeah, Casey, uh, big leaf maples yeah. are just prolific with epiphytes. They are. Uh, why? Great question, Alex. And, and why listening. does the giant conifer next mm. to it not share those same qualities. Now that is the real question, isn't it? This yeah. is this is the classic scientific conundrum where you can say, ah, this must be because of this. But if everything else in the situation is exactly the same, right. it's not happening somewhere else, you're missing something, the right? Con- the conditions for a big leaf maple and a Douglas fir 10 feet away from it are yeah. essentially the same. Essentially the same. So why do the epiphytes love the big leaf maple? Such a great question. We had an entire episode where we talked about this. Do you remember? Uh, No. Well, we talked about this in an episode about the big leaf maple. (laughs) I think it was, honestly, I think it was just about a year ago, maybe a little bit more. I think it was the big leaf maple episode. Yeah, yeah, it was that one. Yeah, I don't remember the name of it, honestly. Yeah. But it's a... uh, BLM. It was. I think that's what it was. Yeah, it was BLM. Yeah. Yeah, Because I always call them BLMs. That's right. So the BLM... For whatever reason, as even like it's so consistent across all of the, the different individuals that you can use that as an ID characteristic, where if you see a tree that has a bunch of epiphytes on mm. it, then if it's not a conifer, that's kind of a big thing. Is that's it a conifer a, or broadleaf? Is there epiphytes? Big leaf maple. That's a strong association. It's really strong. Like it's yeah. it's really, really, really taking. It's really, really, really striking. Yeah. I am not 
100% sure. In our episode, we didn't really get to an answer because there is no real answer, but we decided that it's more likely just a bunch of set of circumstances that the tree has essentially steered into and now just has not changed away from it. Mm. So most of the time, plants don't want other plants growing on them because those plants will potentially start to decay them. Maybe they will uh, use resources that the plant is actually using, that the tree is using. The epiphyte may use some of those things. It also adds a lot of weight to a plant, where if I'm strong enough to hold up my leaves, as soon as now I'm holding up you and all your leaves, now everything's a little bit heavier for me. Or maybe you're going to grow and out-compete my leaves by shading out whatever whatever I'm doing. Moss and lichen famously weigh nothing. They do, exactly. That there's very little, except on big leaf maples where there's so much of it, it um, actually starts to add up. Okay. In fact, one of the stats we found was something like uh, so a significant portion of the biomass, like the weight of living stuff on and of a big leaf maple is not big leaf maple. Funny. You know, it's like, how much do you weigh? Okay, now get rid of all the bacteria in your gut and in your mm. hair and all this other thing. Then you'll like have a significant reduction in like your biomass. Yeah. So the epiphytes on big leaf maple come down to, in my opinion, a few things. One, big leaf maples have a very unique texture of bark, especially oh. as they age. So their bark creates like little microhabitats sure. where it's just allowing for that to happen. Little pockets to cling on to. Exactly. I also think there's got to be a lack of a some kind of chemical that would keep things away. So like bark oh, yeah. of certain trees may be too acidic. It may have too many tannins in it. And it might just not be an appropriate place for plants to really enjoy themselves. For whatever reason. Now, that's a, a bit of a speculation, so take that you know with a grain of salt until someone really looks into it. That the big leaf maple does not have one of these chemicals? Yeah, that there's different... That they're, they're, That's just one of my postulated ideas. Okay. That maybe there's a chemical difference of what uh, is on the bark. I got you. So the other thing is that, generally speaking, big leaf maples have big, shady leaves. Sure. So they would create a nice, dense shade underneath ah. them, and that is just enough light to keep other things away, but but not epiphytes. Not okay. these, these ferns and these mosses and things like that. And don't those aren't those aren't those plants shade tolerant? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. You normally find them growing on, say, the ground. Sure. But a lot of these epiphytes are growing wherever there happens to be good things. So licorice fern's a great example of a epiphyte <laughs> that loves to grow only on the branches of other trees. Interesting. So I we were like, okay, well, shade, there's shade all over the place. So why yeah. isn't this elsewhere? So far it's not. It's it not a great case. It's not a great case, but it exists, and no one knows like well why. So the other <laughs> thing that comes down to it is there are big, uh, big barks that are vertical on conifers. Okay. And as the conifer grows out and gets bigger, that bark slowly gets bigger and thicker. Uh, and this is where I think there might be some kind of chemical thing to it because you don't get big pieces of moss covering the sides of bark of mm-hmm. these vertical conifers. Big leaf maples tend to have more of a spreading canopy where there are certainly stems that grow up or essentially vertical, but they also have branches that come out in arc and then go out to the left and the right and then flatten out, become horizontal, and then you get a lot of branches on there. 
So they'll have bigger stems that are larger in diameter that are more horizontal than what you'd get for a Douglas fir. Their horizontal branches are usually very small. I see. They're long, but their diameter isn't very big. Whereas big leaf maple's diameter would get far larger, far quicker. It's just a nicer home for something that exactly. wants to s- sit and stay for a while. Yes. So if you have this unique bark texture that allows a lot of different surface area for things to grow on and collect water, then you now have a flattened mm. uh, horizontal kind of branch coming out that is big diameter. So the bigger in the diameter that it is, the closer to vertical that it technically gets. I'm sorry, the closer to flat yeah. it technically gets. It's more surface area for water to hit. Exactly. And the flatter that is, so the more water will actually stay there and it's not going to flow away. Sure. So then you have this, this nice habitat. It's in this shaded area and you start getting these things develop. It also so happens that the big leaf maple will send up adventitious roots into these areas mm. because all these mosses and ferns and epiphytes will start to decay over time. They'll also collect leaf matter. That'll decay. Yeah. And it creates this small amount of soil and water collecting material. Wow. But the big leaf maples are actually getting nutrients and water from the the mosses and the piles of different stuff that's growing on its own uh-huh. branches. So if you peel those off, you'll actually find little hairs, yes. uh, root hairs from the tree. I've absolutely seen that. Yeah. I, sh- I shouldn't have peeled them off. I was a child. Oh, that don't even worry about it. <laughs> it the tree's going to be just fine. You could not possibly yeah. take away all of their resources. Sure. I mean, that's like a min-maxing sort of thing. Yeah, like, right. I can Im- I can increase productivity by 0.01% if I shoot some adventitious roots into this moss. Exactly. And and it, honestly, you just keep doing it. Now that branch is going to be even stronger. Like yeah. it, it does have this effect. So it could be also that the big leaf maple kind of steered into that and said, great the one that had the the right conditions whether that's chemical or it just the right kind of habitat requirements and niches for these specific epiphytes mm-hmm. those epiphytes will then give a benefit back to the tree so the tree has evolved over millions of years to get rid of the defensive things that other trees have like peeling bark or smooth bark sure. or different chemicals or something like that that keep the the space good for these other plants because that's ultimately good for the big leaf maple. Interesting. So, hey, you know what? Like Lady Liberty herself said, send me your uh-huh, weary, your, your moss, <laughs> your your small green <laughs> vascular plants that aren't really vascular plants. Yep. I guess I think they're vascular technically. That's, that's word for word. Maybe they're not vascular. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Honestly, it's a very rambling statement. <laughs> Lady Liberty. It's like uh, Willy Wonka's contract. It just yeah, keeps getting right. smaller and smaller. Uh, thank you, Nathan. Interesting yeah. topic. Interesting topic. Go listen to the Big Leaf Maple yeah. episode because yeah. we talk a little bit more in depth. And um, we also present a little bit of research in it, which is really good. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. If you have a question for us to answer here on the Mainline Show, join the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Arbitrary Pod. We'd be happy to have you. For any amount of money you want to send the podcast to support, there are rewards for you. And of course, our flagship tier, the Cone of the Month Club. That's right. Every month you get a cone sticker. What do we got? Uh, what do we got this oh, month, Alex? It's a great one, Casey. This one's by Leanne Flug, fam <laughs> of the pot, I would say. Yeah, 100%. And this is a ghost pine. Ooh, Whoa. Chilling. Is it cold in here? It even has a little, it has a full moon behind it. A little spider web. And it has a little spider living in it. Love it. It's just fabulous. If you want to see a picture of it, go to our Instagram, Instagram at 
arbitrary pod. That is right. And while you're there, quickly uh, go into the link tree. Mm-hmm. Take a survey. That's right. Please take that survey if you're willing to. Uh, it'll take two minutes, and it's a great, easy way to help the podcast. That exactly. is slash trees mm-hmm. or go to instagram and click on that link tree it's there too yes if you happen to be there if you happen to be there casey clap alex croson what a lovely spooky season we're having. as it always is mm-hmm. i love a spooky season um i i despise the actual day of halloween really but i love the vibes of october oh, you know oh that's i'm curious what it is about that day. Uh, I think it goes back to when I was a kid. I just didn't like that everybody was wearing masks and I couldn't oh, see anybody. I see. And I, I also associate Halloween with like the smell of like rubber. Yeah, totally. <laughs> because of I, uh, the masks I would wear. Oh, uh, yeah. And I just, it's sweaty rubber. And yeah. then like, you know, getting sick off of candy or it's just, I, I didn't, it was, it was too spooky for me as a kid. <laughs> But as an adult, I'm like, I love a little spooky fun. Yeah, I'll take a little, little bit of this and that. I might even watch a uh, horror film tonight. Ooh, I will be busy. You're not a horror fan. I'm not a horror fan uh, at all. <laughs> no, I find be careful to be with that word, by the way. Frightening. Yes, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't. I don't like. Uh, I don't like. It. I like. I like Halloween perfectly well. Yeah. I don't. I don't go out and, and do the trick or treating. That's the thing. You know? When you're when you're a kid, there's something to do. When yeah. you're a college student, there's something to do. Uh-huh. And then when you're in your 30s, maybe you don't have like a family yet. Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot to do. I guess I do play a Frisbee tournament that is very themed. It's called the Hanford Howl. Wow. Uh, that's mostly just Frisbee and party. I, I don't usually wear a big, intense costume. Sure. Unless I'm playing Frisbee, at which point I am, of course, wearing a big, intense costume. <laughs> but, Your yeah. Michelin Man outfit. Yeah, did I just realize, I'm like, I don't really celebrate, and then I realized, like, well, for the last, like, eight years, I have celebrated <laughs> both of those things. <laughs> and the third, man, I'm just, uh, I'm not, I am not good at knowing what I do and don't do. Okay, you, you, you do too much, that's why. Yeah, I guess. Uh, hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of our spooky fortnight. <laughs> I guess we're going with we will see you next week for a very spooky episode until then thank you so much for listening to this episode of completely arbitrary we'll see you next time goodbye goodbye completely arbitrary is produced by alex croson and casey clack our artwork is by jillian barthold and our music is by Aves and the mini vandals and you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 